we know that there will come a time when life as we know it is eternal, the, the, the resurrected, the completeness of the resurrection power will belong to us. And we know we have that in part. Uh, Paul said we see in part and we prophesy in part. We look as if it's through a glass darkly. And I realize these things, but at the same time, it, all of the old uh, ideas try to come to the surface. That, that surely, now not, not Bill and Karen, but surely I could quote enough scripture. Surely I could pray long enough. Surely I, surely I, surely I. And I realize that I'm turning back. I'm being, instead of converted, I'm being retroverted. I'm, I'm becoming again a part of the old thought processes that makes us think that somehow we have to pay the price that's already been paid. And that becomes a tension in my thinking. And on the one hand, I know that there's nothing I can do except hold them up in prayer and know that God's will will be done and it might not match mine. The other thing, the only other thing I can do is just look at it and, and try to ask God to quiet this thing in my mind. God said something to me this week that I found very interesting. Uh, he talks to us in language we can understand. And, and he said, you're, you're having some struggle with PTSD. And I said, God, I've never struggled with that. I'd done what I had to do, and I, it's, it is what it is, and I never had a second thought about it, and if it, um, you know, somebody breaks into my home today, I'll do the same thing again. No problem. But he said, I, he said I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about post-traumatic spiritual disorder, where the tension and the mess of the past raises its head, and at that point, you've got, you've got a choice. You can go back there and try to figure out how you can fix it, focusing on yourself as the world does. Or you can turn your eyes on Jesus and begin to realize that he's not only the author, but he's the finisher. He, he begins our faith, and he'll bring it to fruition. And we need to live through that, knowing that sometimes it's not easy. And... You can look there if you want later. I'm going to talk, talk some at least today out of Romans uh, where Paul talks about, I believe it's Romans chapter 8. He begins to talk about this, this spirit of adoption that, that, that lets us know. It cries out within us, my Father, my God, letting us know that we're sons and daughters of the Father now. But then it talks about a little later in the chapter about how we long and groan for, if you look at the original, it's not just that adoption. You've got that. You've got that. You, you know that you're adopted as his sons and daughters, but you've got that thing in you that's longing and groaning for the fulfilling of that adoption, the maturing, the completion of that. When, when you, you see him and face to face, you know him. Uh, you, you recognize him and, and you understand. And one of the greatest things you can get is understanding. And 
I read something a couple weeks ago that has stuck in my mind. I won't be able to quote it completely. But it, it basically said, if you don't get understanding of some of the things that you'll walk through, you'll live a life of spiritual disappointment and spiritual trauma. PTSD, post-traumatic spiritual disorder. Folks, Paul says that we are heirs together with Christ. And my goodness, haven't we built a lot of doctrine around that and what a wonderful thing it is that I inherit with Christ and on and on and on it goes. But it says that we inherit if we, what? Suffer with him. <laughs> Suffer with him. And if we understand that we inherit, and we understand that there's suffering in the process, then it says you'll reign with him. And now, the inheritance is ours just like it was Christ's inheritance. And I am talking about the Holy Spirit now and his faithfulness. But is it, our inheritance is the same as his inheritance, but Paul, in another writing, also indicates that, and oh man, a lot of people of the uh, positive confession type hate this, but it says that we fill up in our body the suffering that wasn't completed in Christ. In other words, we're put into, we are adopted into the kingdom. We have the witness of the Spirit within us. Our spirit cries out, he's my father and he's my God. And then we're put into this world, not, not to gather as the world gathers. The world gathers around ideas and ideals and things to make them feel good about the way they think, such as politics, economics, even religion. And they, they gather around among like people and, and try to make themselves feel real good about what they can do to deliver the world and look down their noses and hate people that don't believe like them. That's the way the world works. And I know that's simplistic, but it is, it's, in essence, it's the way it works. But if we're not careful, we'll begin to do that in a church. We'll gather around in, in, on Sunday mornings among people that believe like we believe. We'll gather around out, out in town and, and have coffee and lunch with people that believe like we believe and talk like we talk and do what we do. And we won't realize that God's intention was to save us and to fill us up with, with the Spirit of God and to let us experience the fact of being redeemed and then to put us out into the world as redeemers. <laughs> Redeemed simply means that we understand that once again we're deemed worthy to, to have the Spirit of God in us, to walk with God and to hear God and to be taught by God and to be moved forward into ruling and reigning and on and on it goes. That's redemption. It seems like we experience that rather briefly before we're confronted with the idea that now He expects us to go into the world with that redemption and become redeemers. 
and we begin to talk to the world about uh, what they could, what it means to be to be born again. What it means. Now, I'm not talking about confronting them with who with their sin and trying to get them to say a prayer, but we begin to speak from our own experience that man, it, this thing has has done something to me. I'm I, I'm changed. That God has done something. There's an empowerment and trusting that it's not my business to convict them, but it's his business to convict them, and it's my business to live life. And then, inevitably, we come up against these times like Karen and Bill and all of us who love them is coming up against, and we see life, and it's a raw mess. And we're wishing, man, we're wishing we could fix it. We're, if we're not careful, we even begin to, begin to speak uh, like the children of Israel, that you know, at least back in Egypt, we had we had this hope, but now and then now we're out here and we're just it's just before us, and we're, we're going through all this mess, and we begin to talk about God, and we fail to enter into the rest that knows that He has a plan, He has the power, He knows what He's doing, and we have some problem releasing that to Him in some way. Now. been quite some years ago now, 18 years or so, something like that, I don't know, 17, 18 years since my first wife, Diana Leslie's mother died. I remember how hard that thing is because, you know, we had put all of the doctrine to work. We had put all of the ideas to work. We had tried all of the remedies. We had people coming to the house and, and declaring that she'll live and not die. And on and on. And then there came with deep within our hearts a knowing. I, mean, with, I'm, I have never, I guess I've never really asked Leslie this, but I know in my heart I knew. I just knew. And then I beat myself up, you know. I, I, I was comparing myself with myself and thinking, you know, if you would just engage more in faith, if you, if you would just pray more, if you just fast more, if you just quote more scripture, on and on it goes. If you would just, but deep in my heart, I knew she was dying. And that's, you know, in a large sense, that's where Karen is. And I... Uh, my heart goes out to her. I, I'm thinking, well, you know, I understand that she's living with it day in and day out, and please pray for her that God would give her supernatural rest and ability. But, but surely as the church, surely we can gather around and be the answer. And I say, it's not that you're not the answer, that he was the answer. And ultimately, he's God, and sometimes we just need to bow and recognize and remember that He's God. That He's God. He's God. And He'll decide. He's God. He'll decide. And then the, on in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, sometimes we don't even know how, how to pray as we ought. And this is where the Holy Spirit is such a blessing. I mean, many times He's a blessing as He works with us, empowers us, teaches, teaches us, comforts us. Man, we need the comforting. And on and on it goes as He does all that. But it says sometimes you don't even know what to pray as you should pray. Now, how many have ever experienced that? Man, I've, done, I've experienced that all week long. 
I've walked in the woods, I've walked on the road, I've paced the house. Don't know how to pray, but I sense the suffering that's in the spirit. And so you don't have words, but Paul said, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. The Spirit himself becomes so intertwined with our spirit that he senses, the Bible says that, that he, he feels our infirmity and he, he begins to reach out on that level and he begins to pray. And we find ourselves Shabbat HaKasana. You say, let's well, just gibberish. Let it be what it is. It's expressing all we can express while the Spirit himself makes intercession. The Bible says oh, way over in Isaiah that, that when I begin to develop my church, I'm going to do something great. I'm going to send forth the promise upon them. I'm going to send a rest for them. And with, with uh, stumbling lips or babbling lips and an unknown tongue, I'm going to speak to and through this people. The, the word to is translated to, but it's to and through. I'm going to do this. And that's the rest wherewith I'll cause the weary to rest. When you, when you just don't know what to do and sometimes the spirit just begins to bubble up in you and you begin to speak what? Yes, might sound like baby talk, might sound like gibberish, might sound like nothing, but it's the spirit himself making intercession, making connection with the Father. Your spirit prays, yes, but it's him causing it to pray in a, in a, in a very real way. It's God himself taking on the burden and making the expression for us because he knows the heart of God. He searches the deep things of God. He knows what's going on, and we're not capable of that. Amen. We're capable of many things, but we're not capable of knowing all of the heart of the Father because in the end, he's God. No matter how close I get to him, no matter what I see, no matter what I do, no matter how much of the revelation that I begin to understand, when I get to where I'm very close to him and I think, God, I'm starting to know you, he'll show me a part of himself that's so completely distant and so, uh, so without understanding, it's out there, and I realize I'm still reaching into the infinite thing that is God. And then I begin to realize how small I really am. And realize how much I depend on Him. And how grateful I am to have the Holy Spirit as my comforter, as my helper, as, as my guide, as, as my very present help in time of trouble. And this, it, it looks something like this. One, some people wonder why, why we talk about a triune God, a God in three parts. It's because it's so clearly reflected in the scripture. That's why we talk about it. Three persons, but one God. Three personalities, but one God. We have the Father who, who works all of these things in us and puts them in us and gives us, gives us these desires that's in us and causes us to want it. We have the Spirit that is now working within us and reaching out through us and working within us. And we have Christ that's bringing it to fruition. Father, Holy Spirit, Son, we have this work in us and we realize after a while that we are truly just these vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels and, and yeah, sometimes we don't understand and I'm telling you I don't really have the capability of understanding because I've seen him as the amazing majestic healer I've seen him do things that I just 
you can't put words to it. Miraculous healings. I've seen it over and over and over again. But it seems like just a little ways down the road, I see something that forevermore looks like he should do it. it looks like it's within his nature to do it. Matter of fact, it even causes a conflict in my mind because it seems like he might be less than God if he don't do it. But for some reason, we find out that the appointment that all men have is the appointment in that body. And we have an appointment. It's appointed unto man wants to die. And I know there's not a lot of preaching like this in the charismatic world, but I'm telling you, if, if many ministers, if they would just be real, you'd hear this. Because there's no way to express if you truly believe that you're, you're sent and called to lead the people of God, there's no way that you can express the, the, the tension, the hurt, the... I don't know. I don't even know how to put it, but all of the emotions that go through your mind when you realize that there's something you feel you should do, but you can't do. And I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just telling you that you are going to experience some of those things because we're all put out here. And we're all put into this world to deal with an imperfect world and to express not only the fact that we inherit with him, but that we suffer with him and that at some point we're going to reign with him. And the fulfillment of our adoption, the creation itself, is longing, waiting to see those that fulfill being adopted by Father himself. Paul said, he said, I, I'm beaten down, but not overcome, I'm, 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 I've suffered, I, I've got all this stuff going on, but God is God. That's basically what he said, but God is God. And he's the one that sent his son into the world to die for us. And there's something so misconstrued in mankind that it took God's dying to pay the price for us. And we work our way out of that incrementally. Not, not, uh, not identifiable steps as we would as people would have us to believe. I'm always amused as I go through these uh, what they call outlet bookstores, outlet Bible bookstores. They usually don't last more than six months because they've they've all they've all got books written about things that didn't work. Five steps to your healing. One hundred and eighty eight days the rapture of the church and here we are almost 188 years past that no we're a long ways past it and on and on because people think I've got it now I've got a handle on this thing and the truth is all we have a handle on is that we're indwelt by the spirit of God and he's leading us he's guiding us he's helping us he's given us some things to lay hold on he's giving us some some things that are promises to us and we realize we must realize that we're working through Working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we're working through things, but we're working through it with the help of the Holy Spirit himself. There are times that it seems like the worst things happen to good people. And now if you're expecting me to tell you why, forget it. I'm just telling you it is. 
but it doesn't change the fact that he's God and he saved us. One thing I'm all, the reason I'm always so passionate about salvation is because I still remember what it was like to be lost and to think I had no hope. Because I had listened to that religious crowd that had formed a specific faction. And then they had told me all of the things that would cause God to hate me, and I had done them all. Matter of fact, once I had thought I had done several of them, I just went ahead and done all of them because I figured he didn't want me anymore anyway. Figured if I'm going out of here and going to hell, I might as well hit it with a splash. I mean, I'm, I know it's a terrible attitude, but it was my attitude. And then I began to realize that they hadn't told me the truth at all. Because while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me even though I was ungodly. And he began to lure me and to draw me. And a lot of times at night, I would do almost anything, take almost anything, drink almost anything, just to sleep because I would lay there and think that, man, if I die, and I'm living like I could die any minute because you want to, if there's a risk, I would take it just for kicks. But then it slowly began to sink into me that he didn't hate me. He loved me. He hated what was separating me from him, but he loved me. And I began to reach out to him, and he began to take me along this journey that went from there to here. And what a journey it's been. And I, Caleb mentioned a, an instance where he had been praying with somebody and he had a manifestation that was not acceptable to some of the religious around him. <laughs> I remember when I first got saved, I, I really did look rough. I. I had this deal, well, let's put it this way. Um, my, one of my theme songs was, You Better Leave This Long-Haired Country Boy Alone. That was one of my theme songs. And my long hair don't cover up my redneck, all that. Well, I had just, man, I'd just been saved. I was in a service where my wife's brother was preaching. And he mentioned the fact that God had done a miraculous work in me. I'll never forget, I, I've always been one for the fringes and after service I'd always go back in that back corner, not this building, but back corner right over there and I'd stand and watch people as they left the building with my back to the wall. And dear sister Bucket Mouth, y'all know her, <laughs> she was coming toward me and I knew that she had me and her finger right in my face and said, if you ever really get saved, you'll cut that hair and trim that beard, or shave that beard. <laughs> it messed with me for a while because I thought, you know, she supposedly had served God for a long time. I thought she might know what she's talking about. But she didn't because I was really saved and I was really changing. And Part of the old nature was still alive in me, and I, I refused to cut my hair and shave my beard for some time after that. But slowly but surely, I realized that God loved me. God loved me. But it wasn't about me. It was about the men that I worked with, the men that I fished with, the men that I hunted with. It was about those guys 
You see what's hidden in that? It wasn't about the church I was attending either, although church was important. That wasn't what it was about. What it was about, that the Spirit of God had touched me to the point. It seemed like I couldn't be out with the guys hunting, fishing, doing anything without one of them bringing up the deal that I'd been saved. And I'd be able to talk to them say, yeah, I know I'm not what I need to be, but God did change me. He, now it's hard for me to communicate. He took away about 75% of my vocabulary. And, <laughs> but he saved me, and he delivered me, and he healed me. And one of the things that's really hard for people is it, it took him some time after that to clean up some of the habits. But he did clean them up. What I'm saying is we're on a journey, and it's not a journey of perfection. It's a journey to perfection. And in the Bible, the word perfect just means mature, to maturity in Him. And sometimes along the way, we run up into things that, man, it don't look good. And it don't feel good. It hurts. And all of that, but I've often thought, I'm not going to apply this to anybody else, but I'll apply it to myself. I've often thought how many people I've been able to sit with and comfort since my wife died and to be the presence to them because I could really look at them and say you know what I know how you're feeling and I'm telling you someplace on this journey you're going to run into God he's going to be there matter of fact he's already there but someday at some point you'll get your mind settled enough that you'll realize he never left you he's never forsaken you You never go through one of these things without being different on the other side. Now, remember the, your heirs with him. You suffer with him. And then you reign with him. And I would suggest that you've got to go through all of that process before you get to the reigning. Because to reign means that you understand that you have authority. Uh, my wife died of all of the complications of cancer and rheumatoid arthritis. I've seen multiple cases of cancer and rheumatoid arthritis healed since she died. I've inherited with him, continue at times to suffer with him, but in that area, reigning with him. Now that's not an easy way but it's the way. And if we continually tell people that there's something wrong with them if they're going through suffering, we're going to cause all kinds of conflict and problems in their life. It's not about what's wrong with us. It's about what's right with Him. And as we know Him, we'll see more and more things start to come to pass that we never thought possible. I'm going to look at my outline and see if I need to go there. <laughs> I'm probably, I'm really doubting it. But one of the things that I'd, I'd like to leave with you if you don't remember anything else, and I'm still not there yet, but a lot of times we think that concerning the Holy Spirit, we just need to be able to quote the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We need to argue whether it's the initial physical evidence or whether it is a second work of grace, 
And on and on the doctrinal stances and the arguments go, having built walls and division between various factions of the church. And in that we become like the world. Because if we build these little units, we can never come together. But we really need to realize instead of being able to argue the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we need to be able to express out from us the truth of the Holy Spirit through life. And that we enter every situation knowing that we'll be able to release something that will express the comforter, that will express the helper, that will express that one that gives us power when, when we don't even think we want it. Over and over again, I've gone into situations where people were dealing with, with long-term illness, and you hate like everything that they're facing it, but you go into that connection knowing that if you don't try to make it happen, if you don't start trying to quote Scripture, if you don't, if you don't start trying that, if you'll just live it, God will speak through you. He will comfort them. He will help them. He will encourage them. And I don't need to know until that moment. One of the biggest problems is trying to prepare. We're going into this thing now. I need to have this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, this scripture. No, I, just, I need to live what's in me. Just go there, be their friend, be their helper, and through that become the comforter and one that releases power in that situation. And every release of power does not heal. Some do, but everyone don't. And we need to quit trying to decide what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He's going to be released. He's going to manifest. He's going to let them know that he's with them. That's the end of what I need to know. Well, my favorite teacher from 30 years ago said it was different than that. Yeah, mine too. But I've lived 30 years since then. And I've faced real life since then. You see, we build up these ideal, our idea walls in our mind, and we invest a lot of life in them, a lot of study time in them, a lot of, of memorization in them, a lot of action in them. And when somebody challenges that, we just shut the gate on that wall because we've got a lot invested in what we believe. But you know, what I believe means nothing. It's what this book says and what the Holy Spirit says to me. That's what means something. But the only way you can get behind anybody's wall is through relationship and through actual conversation. Refusing to talk about those things that build walls, but talk about what God has done in you, how, how great He's been to you, how good He's been to you. When the, when the disciples... When they headed off to the upper room, it's a very different group of people than we often think of. Uh, somehow, we give these people these, this superhero mentality thing that, that we think of them as superheroes, as, as super people that, that had all this go through them. But, uh, Along with the rest of Israel, they had expected that this Emmanuel, this God with us, would have a very different expression. And now, just before they're trudging off to the upper room, 
They had watched him die. Very different from what they had, what they had expected, what they had seen before. They expected that when, when they experienced Emmanuel, as the prophets talked about, that there would be a new and a happy and a lively spirituality. Uh, the, the presence and the power of God would be theirs to enjoy, and he would, be, he would be ruling and reigning among them, and that their lives would demonstrate his witness, his healing. But right in the middle of all of that, Jesus sat them down and began to talk about what would happen. He said, there's a new covenant coming, and that new covenant means that I've got to give my life. Peter raises up, no, 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 you, you, no, you don't have to do that. And Jesus said, Peter, you're acting like the devil. Now, I know this is heavily paraphrased, but that, that's basically what was going on. And then they were confronted with the horror of the object of their faith, first dying on the cross and then being, being put in the tomb. And probably harder than that for them to embrace was that he didn't defend himself. There was no angelic rescue. They went away questioning everything. So when Jesus started dealing with them after he rose again, he knew the hesitation. He knew the apprehension, the fear that was in them. And he also knew that for them to make it, they were going to have to have something more. Now I'm, I'm going to look at some scripture here. First Luke 24. I know it's in my Bible here somewhere. I've got it marked. i just got to get to it. Okay, Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. I think it's Luke. <laughs> After all of the working that I've done on this message this week, I sat down this morning and scribbled out a few notes and said, God, here we go, me and you. <laughs> and here we are. Luke 24:44. These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer now, how many of you know that it is Christ that indwells us? Now the Lord is the Spirit. Now the Lord is Christos. It's the Christ that indwells us. He would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Jesus had just watched these guys as they went through this whole process of his dying and his resurrection. And he felt it necessary to tell them, you know, you're going to need more than what you got. And if I can't tell you anything else this morning, some of you that have taken all this series of messages as, as with a little bit of a grain of salt and thinking you know what's coming and thinking you know what's said, I'm going to tell you to live your life. You're going to need a little bit more than just knowing you're saved. 
You're going to need to know that there's a power that is in you. You're going to need to know that God himself walks with you. Look at John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. John 20. Twenty-one, twenty-two. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now don't you know that kind of brought some little bit of fear up in their mind? They had just watched him die. And yeah, he was resurrected, but things weren't looking too good for them in Jerusalem. And they had watched him live it out and die for it. And they heard him say, Now I'm calling you just like my father called me. And I'm telling you, that call rings down through the ages. That's what it is. If you forgive the sins of any. Oh, first of all, 22, he said, receive you the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins will have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. All of, all of that has very much significance. But over to Mark 16 now. Verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. See, see what he's doing? He's telling them that he's sending them out. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany them. In my name they'll cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues, they'll pick up serpents. It'll not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they, they, they'll recover. And then Matthew 28 Verses 18 through 20, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the Father, Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I command you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All this stuff he was telling them and sending them forth. And then in, uh, back in Luke, Verse 49, he said, Behold, I'm sending forth the promise on, my, on you. You're to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. After he had already made them so nervous and so afraid by telling them, I'm calling you just like my father called me, and I want you to go. Now, understand me, I'm going away. But I want you to go. I want you to lay hands on the sick. I want you to do all these things. I want you to go to every nation. I want you to do what is necessary and go to all people groups. And, and I, I just, I'd love to have been in some of those meetings because I can just see Jesus looking at them and smiling and saying, y'all going to need something else, huh? <laughs> I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the promise of my Father comes on you. And in a very real way there in Acts 2, I'm not reading that, but heaven and earth would meet and merge and would begin to turn people away from themselves, which is the most important thing that you can ever learn, is this is really not about you. It's about His church. It's about His kingdom being established on earth. And how I respond means a lot, yes. But all of the gospel is not about me. But on the other hand, it's about me. Because I'll never be able to express His power unless I embrace it. I'll never be able to understand unless I respond to the Spirit that says I'm a son. But if that's all I focus on, I'll still never be able to do anything. I've got to be able to realize, what is He doing? We've missed that so much in the church. Not as what, what is He doing in me right now, but what is He doing? He's building His church. 
to express his kingdom on the earth. That's all he's doing. All the other stuff is just incidental as you go along and, and begins to work. But he wants to talk to you about drawing the world into his will and his plan. He wants things to begin to happen on earth as they happen in the heavenlies. And Leslie, you guys want to come back here for a few minutes? And he said to them in John, he said, Now, I'm going to send you another. I'm going to send you one equal to me. I'm going to send you one to replace me. But the difference in his being there physically and the one he's sent is this one he's sent will be able to fill all the earth be able to fill those believers and be able to baptize those believers and work through them. And I'm going to send him to you. Wait on that, because if you try to do it without him, it's not going to work for you. And then through you and through other believers, he's going to draw the earth to himself, and he's going to start to express the kingdom on earth. And the knowledge of his will will go forth in the earth through us. How many of you know that you can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray some more and the knowledge of his will often doesn't come to those that we pray for? Amen. Why? Because he wants you to experience that victory. He wants you to experience that. But here's what we've got to understand. And again, I'll go back to the example of Bill and Karen. Sometimes we don't know what to say or to pray. But if we can just make connection and let them know that we're praying. And we're not making declarations as to what will happen because if we'll be truthful, we're not sure. Yeah, I know it's been called a faith statement. No, faith is not a shot in the dark. Faith is the substance of something that's born in you because of the voice of God. And you express that. It's the evidence of what, what has been born and what is going to happen. But I've found that I'm not always that certain what the voice of God is saying. And I know from hard experience that giving, trying to give people false hope doesn't help. But letting them know that they're part of a body, that does help. Letting them know that you're taking it before God, and sometimes, it, and let, let them know, it. I don't know how to pray, but I'm praying in the Spirit day and night that God would just do what God would do. And that let the Holy Spirit decide how that prayer sounds before the Father. It's not my business, but His Spirit becoming so intertwined with my spirit that he's not expressing necessarily what I'm thinking, but he's expressing what is right before the Father because he searches the heart and the will and the mind of the Father, and he knows it, and he talks to that. And how many of you raise your hand and say, I know how to do that. I, I know how to search the heart of the Father. I know what he's doing. I'll, I'll say what he's thinking. There are days I can... But I'm telling you, there are more days that I'm like Caleb. I'm going down the road in some kind of a daydream and just saying, God, I have no idea. What did I say? I don't know. I don't need to know. I've surrendered my most unruly member to him, saying, I trust you. I trust you. 
I trust you. I'm building myself up on my most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, knowing that he knows. And if he wants me to know, he'll help me figure it out. But until then, it's all right if he just prays through me. And sometimes those prayers, sometimes it's not even in an unknown tongue. Sometimes it's just like the Bible says, it's with groaning. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. But just <clears throat> in the Spirit. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can pray is that groaning. That groaning of, God, this hurts. But it's not your fault, God. And I'm not going to elaborate on that because if I do, my mind will start to make it his fault. God, I know it's not your fault. <laughs> I don't know, God. I don't know. But God, you know. You know. And God, I'm, I'm saturated right now. I, I, I don't only feel the Spirit in me. I feel the Spirit all around me. I feel him being released forth from me. He saturates and does what he does.